But hey, this morning, we begin by reflecting on the fact that we had an election last week, uh, the 2022 midterm election. Actually, technically, I guess it's still going on, right? Because we've still got some seats that we're unknown about that sounds like you're going to be going on for a while. Um, election season for some people can be a lot of stress, a lot of frustration, uh, a lot of time and energy. How many of you would be happy if we never had to deal with another election in the United States again? Anybody? Anybody like, yeah, can we just somehow find a way around that? Um, what if... We never had another election. What if, what if our senators and our congressmen and our state and local and national offices just always stayed the same, right? Now, you're immediately thinking, well, it depends who's in, the, in office, right? Like, if I get the hand pick, then, yeah, maybe, maybe they can stay the same. But, but let's assume for a moment that, that our government officials never, there was no turnover, right? You didn't have that learning curve of every two years, like new officials, and they got to learn the ropes and learn to communicate and build trust. Like, what if government officials just always stayed the same? Do you think that things would run smoother? What, what if all government officials just permanently held their office, right? What if for the last 246 years of the history of the United States of America, the president, his cabinet, the senators, the congressmen, governors, state legislators, what if they were all just the same? You'd have to hope, you'd have to assume that eventually they'd figure things out, right? Eventually they'd get some better perspective, that they would learn to work together, that they'd learn some principles of justice and fairness. I see some of you are shaking your head because you know this is a sinful world, right? That probably would be a failed experiment. Not to mention the fact that, that people are eventually going to die and they'll need to be replaced, but what if, what if we had infinite, if it, what if the people who held office were like infinite and they never, they never died? Would they somehow learn and grow? Would there be some advantages? You, you think, well, yeah, as long as it was the right leader, right? If the right leader were in place for 246 years of our nation and going on for decades to come, then maybe there would be some benefit to having a permanent leader. And that's what Hebrews chapter 7 is going to argue, is going to present to us, that Jesus is a permanent high priest, and because of that, he is solid, he is faithful, he is reliable, he delivers on his promises because he does not change, he does not die, there is no turnover in our Savior, he doesn't serve in term for a particular period of office and then, and then retire or pass away, he is our permanent high priest. Now, if you're here with us last week in chapter 7, we covered the first 20 verses. We saw that Jesus is a superior priest, right? Not in the line of the old covenant priests of Levi, the Levites, but Jesus is after a different order, right? After the order of Melchizedek. And we learned that Melchizedek was this mysterious Old Testament figure we read about in Genesis 14. He was this priest king that Abraham interacted with. And here's what's happening. The Hebrew Christians are struggling, they're getting criticized, they're facing pressure and persecution, and one of the things that they are likely getting undermined about is how can you claim that this guy Jesus, who by the way is, is dead, they didn't believe the resurrection, the opponents, but they said he was from the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah is the, the tribe supposed to produce the kings. How can he also be a high priest? And you remember the author argued quite effectively that he's a priest of a different order, a priest of the order of Melchizedek. His priesthood was not based upon the legal rights through the family heritage that Jesus had, but as verse 16 says, he's a high priest by the power of an indestructible life. See, his resurrection proves and validates 
his identity as God's son, as the Messiah, and here in this context as the great high priest. And so verse 19 tells us that because he is a superior high priest, he has brought to us, he has introduced us to a better hope through which we draw near to God. And this theme of Jesus being our priest, our mediator, is, is, is throughout the book of Hebrews. Remember verse 4, we saw that he's a sympathetic priest. Last week we saw that he's a superior priest. And our big idea this morning is that Jesus is a permanent priest. A permanent priest. Now and forever. And so because of that, he's going to offer us a better covenant. He's going to give us a salvation that is complete because he is the perfect son. And so we're going to pick up, we're going to dive in in verse 20, but I'm going to pick up and get a little bit of a running start from verse 18 and on. So let me pray, and then we'll read the holy word of God and unpack it together. Father in heaven, send your Holy Spirit. Send your Holy Spirit on us as a people, on, on this nation even as the election is still yet to be determined and our government leaders are still yet to be finalized to bring peace and justice, bring your spirit on our world, God, to overcome so many of the challenges that we face with identity crisis, with, with war and poverty and tension and secularism, God, and, and, and the eroding of the foundations of the gospel, God, bring your spirit. But now we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us, that as your word is read, as I by your grace, lead us in unpacking the truth that, that you would speak to our hearts, that each of us would find that covenant relationship, that salvation from beginning to end through our Savior Jesus, the great high priest, your son. Come now, we ask. Amen. Hebrews seven eighteen, For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. But the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Somebody say amen. Amen, amen. So verse 20 says, look, we have this better hope, this better hope through our great high priest. And this hope that we have through Christ was not confirmed without an oath. Now that's a double negative, so translation is it was confirmed with an oath, right? 
See, the priests from the tribe of Levi held their priestly position in Israel not because of an oath from God, but simply because of their family heritage and their legal stipulations that the priests had to be from the tribe of Levi, the high priests descendant from Aaron. And so they stood as, as mediators. We've talked about this, right? A priest is a mediator, an intercessor that stood between God and the people, a representative of the people to know their needs and understand them. But the priest would have to go through all sorts of rituals to cleanse themselves, make themselves holy, wear special garbs so that they could intercede and mediate to God and, and in a sense, at least on earth, stand before the throne of God in the temple. And that was their role, to bring the people to God. They were ministers of the Old Covenant, ministers of the law of Moses and the entire sacrificial system that God had set up. See, all people need a mediator. None of us can stand before a holy God without a representative. And so verse 21 says, Jesus serves in this capacity for us. He was made a priest by the sworn oath of God himself. And again, the author of Hebrews, his favorite verse, is going to remind us of Psalm 110, verse 4, this messianic prophecy fulfilled in Christ. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. See, the priests of Levi couldn't be priests forever because they kept dying. Jesus is a priest forever after this mysterious order of Melchizedek, this priest king who stood before God. And, and God swears the oath that Jesus will serve in this capacity. Now, if you were here with us a few weeks ago in chapter 6, we also heard about God's sworn oath, the promise that God swore to Abraham, right? And we read there in chapter 6 that, that God's purpose is unchangeable, that it's impossible for God to lie, that he promises and he swore an oath to Abraham, I will be your God, you will be my people, through you all the descendants of the earth will be blessed. And so we saw there in chapter 6 that we can hold firmly, we can hold firmly to the hope set before us because God's promise is unchangeable, God's promise is an immovable anchor and it's that same unchangeable purpose and the same un unwavering promise of God that makes Jesus our priest our mediator forever to stand before God on our behalf and so verse 22 says that since Jesus is a high priest of a different order an eternal priest since he is a superior priest because his priesthood is is not based upon family lineage, but it's based upon an indestructible life. And so that means he now can guarantee for us a better covenant. Verse 22 says he's brought to us a better covenant. Now a covenant is, is, a, is a term we read about in the Old Testament. A, a covenant is a binding agreement. Two parties that enter into, in our modern day language, we might say contract, but a covenant is deeper. It's not just a legal arrangement. It's an arrangement built upon promise and upon love. God's covenant is a binding promise, a binding agreement between two people, between him and his children. And, and this covenant states the nature of the relationship between two people. And the covenant means that there are conditions and there are stipulations to the relationship it's ultimately a relationship between God and his people, bound by the word of God. The covenant that God makes with us is bound by his own word. And in essence, it is, I will be your God and you will be my people. That promise that he made to Israel is the same promise that we receive in Christ. And Jesus guarantees this covenant. He guarantees this promise. Abraham couldn't guarantee the covenant. Moses couldn't guarantee the covenant. Think about it. Abraham was the very first recipient of the, that covenant promise to God, from God, but Abraham couldn't guarantee that it would be 
carried out. Moses was the mediator of the covenant, received the law, heard God's voice on Mount Sinai. But even Moses couldn't guarantee that the people would fulfill the stipulations, would hold up their end of the conditions. But Jesus guarantees the covenant with us because he has secured it with his life. See, listen, Jesus knew that we could not fulfill the covenant. We could not hold up our end because we're sinful. We're faithless. We cannot be obedient. We cannot always worship God. We cannot follow the Ten Commandments laid out in the Old Testament. We cannot live up to the purity standards that God had laid out. And Jesus knew this. And so he comes to earth taking on flesh, living a righteous life on our behalf, fulfilling the conditions that you and I could never fulfill. And then he died. He lived to give us his righteousness, and he died to take away our sin, our faithlessness, our disobedience, our wayward heart. And then he rose again. See, through his death, our sins are atoned for, but through his resurrection, we now receive his life. We now rise up in victory. And he is our, our permanent priest mediating for us, giving to us his record, giving to us his work of salvation, so that now we can be the recipients of a better covenant. A covenant that is guaranteed. Is there, is there anything that's guaranteed in this life? Is there, have you ever come across a contract, an agreement, an arrangement, a warranty that's guaranteed? People say the only things that are guaranteed is what? Death and taxes, right? How, how many of you are the type of people you click on and you purchase, when you check out at Walmart, and they say, would you like the two-year service agreement? How many of you buy it? You spend the extra $5.70, or if it's a car, you spend the extra, you know, $30 a month to get that warranty so that if it gets stolen, you're going to get your money back, right? Some of you get those. Con I was raised by my father, like, don't buy into the warranties. There's too much paperwork. There's too many loopholes. They're never going to fulfill it. They're ne you're never actually going to get what you pay for, right? You're going to lose the paperwork. They're, they're going to make you jump through hoops. They're going to find a way to say, well, that particular issue is not covered by the warranty, right? I knew a guy who worked for a, a, a cell phone insurance company. And their policy was that if you bought their policy, if you paid for their insurance, they guaranteed to replace your phone no matter what for as long as you had the phone, as long as you were paying the insurance. And this guy who worked in their customer service department told me that their policy internally was that if you called, your, your phone call always went to voicemail, and you would leave a message, and it was their policy to never call anybody back the first time. Now, if you called a second time, then, then they would follow up with you. But their policy was just leave them be. Maybe they'll get frustrated. Maybe they'll forget about it. Maybe too much time will go by and they'll buy a new phone. Like that, that is what they was told to do by his supervisor. That was their guarantee, right? Nothing in this life is guaranteed. Nothing in this life actually follows through on the promise. But Jesus offers us, listen to this, not just a lifetime guarantee, Right? He offers us an eternal guarantee. You will always belong to God. You will always be my son. You will always be my daughter. There's a better covenant, a better sealed contract relationship, a binding agreement that through the work of Christ, you belong to God. And Jesus has sealed it with his life. This new covenant. Right? We talk about the old covenant fulfilled in the new covenant. And in, in Hebrews chapter 8, the author is going to go to great lengths to help us understand the relationship between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. But I'll give you a little, a little primer. Look at verses 6 and 7 of chapter 8. The Word of God says, As it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, 
as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. But we know that it was faultless, that we couldn't live up to it, that we couldn't find fulfillment through the old covenant. And so Christ has brought us a new covenant, a better covenant, mediated by his own life. Salvation is now guaranteed for those who belong to Christ. Salvation is now guaranteed for those whose names are written in the book of life, who have faith, who trust in Christ. Listen, the promise of your salvation has been won through the bloody cross and through the empty tomb. It's no longer dependent upon you to hold up your end of the bargain. It's no no longer dependent upon customer service to answer the phone and get back to you. It's been won. It's been secured. It's been guaranteed through the work of Christ and through his Holy Spirit who fills you. You now respond with faith and you receive this promise. And to the reminder and the call this morning... For those of you who walked in here weary, who walked in here unsure, who walked in here wondering whether you would know God, wondering whether when your day comes and you stand before, before the presence of God, if you'll be cast out or if you'll be welcomed in, friends, listen, you can have a guarantee because Jesus has won for us a better covenant, a better promise. Trust in him, put your faith in him, hope that through his death you're forgiven, through his resurrection you can find eternal life and trust this permanent priest who guarantees your relationship with him. He's a permanent priest that brings us this better covenant. And we see in verse 23 that he also brings us a complete salvation. A complete salvation. Look at verse 23. 23 reminds us that in the old covenant, through the law of Moses and the priests of Levi, there were thousands, literally thousands of former priests. Now you might think, oh, that's an advantage, right? Like Jesus won old covenant thousands. No, no, it's not an advantage, right? The reason that they needed thousands of, of Old Testament priests is because of one simple, very understandable reason, no matter how good the priests were, no matter how wise they were, no matter how faithful they were in attending to their holiness expectations and, and sacrificing the, the lambs and the doves and the goats according to the exact speculations, guess what? They kept dying. Right? They, they kept dying, and so they kept having to install and institute new priests. And they were prevented in continuing in office because aside from like a weekend at Bernie's situation... They were going to die, and they couldn't keep ministering at the tabernacle, right? They couldn't keep serving. But Jesus, on the other hand, verse 24 says, is a superior priest. Why? Because he holds his priesthood permanently. He continues in his office how long? For a lifetime? For a generation? Forever. He is our permanent priest. He never dies. He is perfect. He is incorruptible. He continues to mediate, to stand before God on your behalf. That his once and for all sacrifice continues to cover us for all of eternity. And so we see that the many priests are now replaced by one. The many sacrifices are fulfilled in one. He is the one true prophet. Jesus is the great high priest. He is the one and only king of kings, both now, today, tomorrow, and forever. Amen? And so he is enough to cover all of your sins. He is enough to cover all of your failures. He is enough to carry you through every day of this lifetime on into eternity. See, the old, co- co- the old covenant sacrifices and priests that mediated, they could never make the people perfect. They couldn't do it. They couldn't fully finish the job. The best that those priests could hope for was to direct people to God, to show them their deep sin and their deep need for a savior the best that those priests could hope to do was to stir the people's yearning for the mercy of god 
was, was to, to stir their desire for a better priest, to cause them to look forward to the Messiah that would one day fulfill what the author of Hebrews calls the, the shadow of all the Old Testament sacrificial system. And, and so while that was God's intention, the people never got it. Because they looked at the sacrificial system and they looked at the offices of, of the priest and they kept gravitating toward ritual and performance, toward outward conformity, rather than living in faith in God. And God's desire was never for outward circumcision, it was circumcision of the heart. His desire was never that these lambs and bulls and goats would, would absolve sin eternally, it was to turn their hearts toward the Messiah. And God would send numerous prophets to remind the people of this, to remind the people that his true desire was not for, for sacrifices of, of bulls and goats, but for the sacrifice of a pure heart. But the people kept looking to the system. They kept looking to the system rather than the Savior, thinking that the system would be their antidote, thinking that the system would bring them the salvation that they truly longed for. Now remember, this is all in the past for us, but, but the author of Hebrews is writing to the Christians, these Jewish Christians with Jewish background who spent their days growing up going to the temple for the feasts and the, and the festivals, seeing the sacrifices made, and now they're being tempted to turn back to the system, to turn back to the ritual. See, because the Jews still in the day when this is written thought that the Levitical priesthood and the sacrificial system could save them. They didn't know, as chapter 8 would say, that, that it was all intended to serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. Now listen, and don't be too hard on these first century Jewish Hebrew Christians thinking, why, why on earth would they be tempted to go back to the ritual? Like, it's by grace, it's through the work of Christ. Because I think you and I, at times, we often try to find comfort in the ritual, don't we? We try to reassure ourselves that we're performing and we're good enough and we're fulfilling the good Christian rituals. And we too slip into outward conformity, thinking that if we can conform on the outside, that people around us will think we're good enough and that maybe God will think we're good enough, right? So we too slip into the ritual, slip into that outward conformity. But, but the author of Hebrews says, no, no, that can never truly save. That can never truly make you perfect. Only Jesus, the great permanent high priest. And so verse 25 says, in light in light of the fact that he's a priest forever, we see there in verse 25, consequently, the consequence of Jesus' permanent priesthood is what? That he's able to save us. Therefore, because he's a priest forever, he is able to save you and I, his people, a little bit. He saves us just a little bit, doesn't he? Is that what it says? He saves us to the uttermost. What a beautiful phrase. What a beautiful translation. It means this idea that he saves you fully. He rescues you completely. He redeems you now and for all time to the uttermost. Again, the priests of the old covenant, they made sacrifices every single day. Hundreds of animals that were sacrificed on a given week to try to worship God and atone for the sin of the people. And none of those sacrifices were ever enough. If they had doubled, if they had tripled the amount of sacrifices made at the temple, it still wouldn't have been enough. Now imagine you live in that system. Imagine you live in that system where you go with your family and you travel to Jerusalem periodically for, for the festivals and the feasts. Imagine you go on the high holy day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. Imagine that, maybe, imagine that maybe you live close enough that you can not just go three or four times a year, but maybe you go every week and you meet with the priest and you confess your sin. And, let, and let's say that you make a connection with a particular priest at the temple. 
And there were dozens and dozens of them, and they would rotate. But let's say you made a connection with a priest, and you go up, and he knows you. And he says, oh, yeah, I remember we talked about this last month, and let me hear your confession, and let's pick out a lamb, and lay your hands, and, and let's lay your, your, your sins and your faults and your failures. And let's say this, you make a connection with this priest, and he begins to understand you, and, and he begins to help you receive the forgiveness of God, and you, you maybe feel better, and you trust him, and he knows you. The best that you can hope for, the best that you can hope for in that system is that God would have mercy on you in that moment, in that time. But guess what? Tomorrow you'd have to go back. Tomorrow you would have to go back and slay another animal. And the worst part of the, of the Levitical system was that one day you would show up and you would say, where's, where, where's Rabbi Jebediah? And they would say, oh, you didn't hear? He died. Let me introduce you to the, the new priest. Here, are you, are you, uh, you, you A through M? Oh, yeah, you're assigned to this priest. He just started yesterday, but he'll do fine. Confess your sins to him, and he'll help you pray. And, and you've got to start all over with, an, with another priest. What a sad, sad, unfulfilling system. You can maybe save for a day, maybe save for one sin at a time and point you in the right direction. Can't save you completely. Can't save you to the uttermost. Can't save you eternally. But Jesus comes and he says, I save you fully and completely. Because he always lives. Right? You never have to worry about him dying and having to start over. Even now, he lives to make intercession for us, the scripture says. Even now, this very moment, Jesus, before the throne of grace, is pleading your case. He is a mediator, interceding, standing before the holy throne of God. And when you fall short, as you probably did this morning, when you make a mistake, as we, we all did countless times this week, when you are lazy and tired, too tired to do the right thing, when you forget to follow through with what the Lord has asked you, when you are willfully disobedient, any and all instances of sin and, and, and burden and, and shame, Jesus stands before the Father and intercedes for you on your behalf. And he knows exactly your need. And he prays and he ministers and he offers his sacrifice to cover every and all sin. And so your mistakes and your failures and your sins and your disobedience... And he knows you. He knows what you did yesterday and what you're going to do tomorrow. And this is his response when he looks down and he sees that. He says, yep, my sacrifice already covered that. And you fall short and you mess up. And he says, yeah, yeah, I washed you clean of that. It's already taken care of. And he, he's interceding on your behalf. And you say, but Jesus, something new came up. He says, yep, I died for that one too. And my resurrection is enough to overcome that as well. And you say, but I'm still struggling with guilt. And he says, yeah, yeah, but I, you're already forgiven. And we can confess our sins on a daily basis, as Pastor Matt wrote in his blog this week, so that we are reminded of his forgiveness, so that we are not riddled with guilt and shame. But he is interceding on our behalf at all times, keeping us in right relationship with the Father, not based upon something new that he does every day, but based upon the once and for all sacrifice on the cross. Amen? This is how Paul would say it in Romans chapter 8. He says, who can bring any charge against God's elect? 
It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Amen? This permanent high priest that stands by you every moment of every day, even when you don't know that you need it, even when you're asleep, even when you're awake, but you're asleep to the things of God, he is interceding on your behalf. Who does he intercede for? What does verse 25 says? Who is it that received the intercession of Jesus Christ, who received of his death and resurrection? Those who draw near to God through him. Draw near to God, brothers and sisters. Draw near to God through Christ. And we're reminded again of our theme verse in Hebrews 4.16 that keeps coming up. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Why? Why do we draw near to the throne of God's grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need, which is every moment of every day is a time of need. But those who draw near to God through Christ find the intercession of Christ, find the sacrifice of Christ, a full and final salvation, not a little bit, but to the uttermost. And everything that you have ever done, both past and present and future, Christ saves. And his work is complete. All of your faults, all of your failures, all of your forgetfulness, his redemption is complete. And your guilt is washed away. Your shame is covered. Your regret is cast as far as the, north, the east is from the west. And every thought that you've had that displeased God, every word that you said that brought shame to your name. Every deed that you've done or left undone is covered by the work of Christ. He saves you to the uttermost. And all of the sins that you know about, the sins that you don't even know about, the sins that, that you try to hide from yourself and deny, his work covers. Friends, your open rebellion, the times when you in anger do willfully what you know is sinful, willfully what you know will hurt God, willfully what you know will, will hurt the people around you. Your disobedience and even your passive apathy, your, your sins of omission that you're just too tired, too worn out, too faithless to even do. Redemption to the uttermost. Friends, you are washed clean. You are born again. You have new life, a fresh life as a son or a daughter of God that stands before the throne covered by the work of Christ. You are adopted as his child. You are infused with a new identity. You are empowered with a new purpose. You're saved to the uttermost. You cannot think of a way. You got to kind of think of an aspect or an area of your life that God's love does not cover, that Jesus' salvation does not bring his power. And friends, this salvation for us is a salvation for the lost and for the hurting. Because there are people who desperately need not just a little bit of salvation, not just a little bit of Christian pick-me-up, but they need to be rescued to the uttermost completely now and forever. And this hope that I hope reassures you and empowers you is the same hope that will bring life to your children and your parents and your neighbors and your coworkers and your schoolmates and classmates and workmates. Can we go out and bring hope to them? Because listen, if, if your gospel is so small and so narrow that all it covers is a ticket to heaven or all it covers is, is like forgiveness from the really bad things, then you are going to meet people in your life that may not need or, or may not present in a way that they need that salvation. But if you have a view of salvation and the work of Christ that covers everything, the salvation to the uttermost, you will not find a person under God's creation that does not need the work of Christ. Amen? 
Can we be a people that speak and that live this kind of hope and this kind of life to bring the work of Christ, a work that we hope and pray that he's done in our hearts that spills out to those in need around us. He is a permanent priest. He has secured for you a better covenant, and he has saved you to the uttermost. Why? Why can he do all of this? Not just because he's the, the, the permanent priest, but because he is a perfect son. Look at verse 26. Verse 26 says it was necessary. It was appropriate that we have a high priest like this. A high priest who is holy. Verse 26 says, the one who is set apart, that means set apart from from all the fallen things in this world, a high priest that is innocent, completely innocent. There is no guilt for any sin in the heart, in the life of Jesus. He is completely unstained, uncontaminated. He lived for 30-some years on this earth, and somehow, through his divinity, through the Holy Spirit, he remained unseen, unstained, untainted by sin or evil. He is, it says, separated from sinners. Yes, he's like us because he became a human like us, but he's distinct. He's separated because he is without sin. goes on to say in verse 26 that he is a high priest who is exalted above the heavens, far above earth and heaven, anything that we can see. It was fitting. It was necessary that we have a high priest like this. He was fully human so that he could represent us, but he was without sin. So that he could stand guiltless before the Father on our behalf. You see that? He is like you in every way except the one most important way. He never displeased his Father. He never disobeyed. He never broke covenant relationship with his Father. He always walked in love for God and love for others. And so now he can stand and represent us. It was indeed fitting. It was indeed necessary that this be our high priest. And verse 27 reminds us that Jesus is not like the priests of the old covenant. Again, Not like the priests of Levi. Why? Because they would come to the temple and first they'd have to offer a daily sacrifice for themselves to cover their own sin. And then they could begin to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. But Jesus has made one full and final sacrifice. Do you know that every day at the temple there was a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice? And before the doors were open, so to speak, before they started taking requests from people that would come to the temple, they would offer the morning sacrifice, a sacrifice of worship that would cleanse the altar, cleanse the temple, cleanse themselves. And at the end of the day, after they had interceded and atoned for, for all of those sins and offered all of those sacrifices, they would make a final evening sacrifice. Because even the system itself had to be cleansed. But Jesus comes and he makes one sacrifice that covers it all. Covers all of your sins. Bring forgiveness in every area of your life that you can now stand clean and unstained as a son or daughter before God. What was the sacrifice? How could Jesus do this? It was himself. He was the perfect lamb of God. He was the one who would take away the sin of the world. See, the old covenant, verse 28, reminds us, looked to to weak men. It appointed weak men to be priests, these men that were frail, that were sinful. But our permanent priest, he has been installed... He's been sworn into office again by the oath of God. How? Because this priest is a son. He's the perfect son of God. See, Jesus is the better high priest. Because unlike the priests of the old covenant who held their office temporarily, Jesus is permanent. He's a better priest 
because he doesn't need to offer thousands of sacrifices. He offers one. He's a better priest because he never had to atone for his own sins first. He is innocent. And he's a better priest because he doesn't offer mere animals before an altar made by mere men. He offers himself before the very throne of God. And so verse 28 gives us this beautiful promise that through the righteous life of Christ, through his obedient death, through his victorious resurrection, he has perfected for all time. He has been completed for all time. As we're reminded in Hebrews 5, 9. And being made perfect, he, Jesus, became the source of eternal salvation to all who believe. Through his obedience, he was perfected. Through his death and resurrection, he completed his work as Savior. He has become our source of eternal salvation. See, because there is only one perfect son. There is only one permanent priest. He is perfect before God, innocent, unstained, without blemish. And how many of us spend day after day after day wrestling, striving, this unending, unfulfilling quest for perfection, to be good enough, to be right enough, to earn favor with our spouse, to be, to be pleasing in our parents' eyes, maybe one day to make it, to pile up enough good deeds to make it up into heaven. And Jesus says, no, 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 I am the perfect son who's achieved it on your behalf. Ed talked last week about this choking plague of perfectionism that so many of us have lived under. And maybe it was from your upbringing, maybe it's your personality, maybe it's the world around you, but we, we've sought to live our lives thinking that we need to earn favor before God and before men. And we've set this standard that's unattainable, and we think if I can get there, and yes, God's grace will get me to heaven, but I still need to get there on my own to be good enough in the church, to be good enough in the workplace, to be good enough in my family. It's a plague that chokes you. Listen, there is only one perfect son. There is, and that's all we need. We only need one perfect son. And you know, when my kids get frustrated when they were little, and they'd get frustrated working on a craft, and, and they'd want to tear it up and start over, or, or in school, when they'd, when they'd come a, a, across a, a test or an exam or a class that they, they couldn't fully finish, or, or a relationship as teenagers where there's brokenness and hurt, and now they feel disconnected, I, I will say to them, what on earth is perfect? You're frustrated, you're disappointed, you're discouraged, you feel like it's not enough, it's not good enough. What on earth is perfect? And the answer that I hope they say is nothing. Nothing is perfect. You're never going to get there. You're never going to get there with whether it's a, a, a coloring inside the lines, whether it's your performance review at work, whether it's your relationships with friends and family. You're never going to attain perfection and you don't need to because Jesus has secured it on your behalf. He is perfect before the Father. And the beautiful reality of the gospel is not just that Jesus stands outside of us, perfect for us. But now through his work and through faith in his work, he gives you his perfection. Do you hear that? You are perfect because Christ is perfect. You can rest because through faith in his work, now you can claim the same things that Jesus claims. Now you can claim holiness and innocence. You are unstained. You are separated from the fallen, broken world around us because Christ has given you his righteousness, given you his perfection, declared you innocent and holy. As we'll read in, in chapter 10 of Hebrews, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You are perfected for all time. Hebrews 10, 14. And so listen, be free. 
be at peace. The standard has been met. The relationship has been mended. Your salvation is secured. Your identity is set through the work of Christ. Jesus has done it now and forevermore. He is the perfect son. He is the permanent priest who has guaranteed for you a better covenant, an everlasting relationship with God, who has given you complete salvation in every corner of your heart, every area of brokenness and sorrow and pain and regret. He has saved us to the uttermost. Amen? The worship team's going to come. Let me pray for us. Good God in heaven, we thank you for this great gospel. We thank you for this great Savior, this perfect Son who has achieved and secured and given to us what we could not find on our own, who has met the perfect standard. And so I pray that we would stop striving and stop wrestling and that we would just receive your grace, that we would simply fall down in faith and receive your grace. This better covenant that has been guaranteed that even when we mess up again tomorrow, even when we doubt, even when we walk away, we have this covenant secured, this binding relationship through the work of Christ. And God, I pray even now that this salvation would fill our hearts, fill our bodies, fill our minds, fill our deeds, fill our, our thoughts and our feelings, this salvation that is complete, that is to the uttermost in every way. And God, may we be men and women that live in that strength, live in that courage and that hope and that confidence of who we are in Christ and carry that out to the world. Fill this place even now as we worship, as we seal these promises in song. Come Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and worship.